You're listening to The Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd who is less brown than he was last week. Well, you know. Slightly less brown. It's called the British weather, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And um, Ollie uh, is the founder of Great British Chefs, of course. I'm still thinking about last week, Ollie, actually. You know the um, kefir, kefir, whatever you call it. Anselm kefir. Hmm. Um, and, and the sort of decision to just not go to the supermarkets and, and you know, absolutely refuse to do that and then and do it by subscription. That's an interesting model. I think really? what, it was it was interesting the conversation about you know what's the intention of a founder mm. and in some ways when people set up businesses what is it that they want to create and you know there's obviously ways in which you can create super premium really incredible high product you know that actually mm. is akin to I suppose you know a Savile Row suit or you can do ready to wear stuff that is disposable fashion and you know in the world of food both ends of that spectrum exist and. You know, it's, it's it's a really interesting debate about, you know, where do you want to be and, and what, you know, what the compromises you have to make when you do those two different routes. But when you've got what I would, in inverted commas, call a slightly health product, it's quite expensive. You know, is that a good thing or, or do you know, does it mean that it sort of cuts all sorts of people out of, 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 of that sort of market? It's a hard one. But I think there's been some really you know, some quite difficult um, pieces written about the alternative health market recently, and particularly some of the stuff that Gwyneth Paltrow's company produced oh, that have God. been fined by you know the FDA in America, and you know all the stuff that comes out of there of you know over product claims. And I think that it's very interesting. You know, in some ways, the more you charge, the more it's worth. It's that old game, mm. which is you know if you can make it into uh, I think it's called a Giffen good. Take me back to my economics days. Um, you know, the the more expensive it is, the more the demand. If only that were true. Well, occasionally it is. In, occasionally some, it is, but not always. You know, but in small in small in small distribution things. Mm. And and for new products, it's it is. You know, your pricing point is one of the biggest decisions you're going to make. It is. For sure. Which is why I'm really pleased that we have Fiona Eason here. Hi, Fiona, from Hello. Product Chain. You're going to advise us. You're going to, all this programme, you're going to tell us how to okay. launch the product. <laughs> Fine. Well, I find it very <laughs> no pressure. interesting, your, your point there about um, is this too exclusive? Um, one of the key things that drives me in some of the brands that we work with is that actually, you know, good health and access to the alternative health market should not just be for the very privileged. It might start there, but actually my aim is to get it out broader and wider and get people understanding that. Um, and, you know, to that end, we, you know, we, we've, we've just recently launched a bone broth. With There are bone broths out there at the moment, which are fabulous. It's coming back to the old knowledge that was there, um, which is another topic I'd love to touch on. But it, it's about making it more part of everyday life for the future. My great ambition with our Bush bone broth is that we one day get it into care homes and into mm. hospitals because we have a very undernourished older population. Well, that was one of our conversations last was. week, wasn't it? You know, in, uh, some of these things are great and they're trendy, and they're, you know, for the young. Yes. Whereas there's a massive need exactly. up, the, up the other end of the um, up the other end of the age scale. As we get older every week, Sue, so we become more and more in touch with the needs of the elderly. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just... I'm very excited about getting a bus pass. No, you're not. It's a few years off, but oh, I, that'll be great. Huh? So I can see you with a backwards baseball cap riding one of those birds. You know, those sort of mo- <laughs> you know, not those mobility scooters, those two wheel scooters. I'm going to get a BMW i8. 
That's what I fancy. <laughs> no, no, I'm being deadly serious. Cause I know like, you are. It's electric, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. like saving the planet. Yeah. But if you pull up in one of those, like nobody would expect some old granny to get out, would they? You're, not, brilliant. An, you're not an old granny. So. I am a granny. I know you're a granny, but well, I'm an old let's granny. remove the that's... prefix. <laughs> Anyway. anyway, I was in my local Sainsbury's at the weekend and I was looking, you know, because you and I are quite interested in the non-alcoholic. Yep, we are. Alcoholic, in inverted commas, sector where, where, where you know... Non-alcoholic spirits. Some it? nice, yeah, so trying to get some great alternatives, even though, as you know, I do like drinking uh, proper stuff in moderation. Um, I was looking at uh, Everleaf was there and you'll never guess what, Paul Matthew... Is here in the studio today. It's a bit of a coincidence, Paul. What a coincidence. I'm very glad you found some. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll try some of that. And I thought, no, I bet Paul will bring some with him. <laughs> and <laughs> and luckily, luckily he has. He has. So, Paul, you're, you, um, you are what I would describe as a proper bartender. So, But before we do that, shall we have a little taste, Ollie? Mm. So, um, so just tell us, Paul, what is in Everleaf? So it looks like... Um, is that a 50 centilitres bottle? It is, yes. So it's a 50 centilitres bottle. It looks like a, a, a rather elegant wine bottle, I would say. Um, and and it's, it's described as a bittersweet aperitif. So what's in it before we have a little slurp? Well, you mentioned non-alcoholic spirits um, just then. I don't actually refer to it as a spirit. Um, we've we've used the, the aperitif term to kind of draw away from that idea that it is a replacement for a gin or something like that. Um, I set out to make something that tasted great and wasn't trying to be something that is alcoholic. Yeah. So the idea was to make something that was, yeah, that tasted great first and foremost. Um, and one of the things I find with a lot of the other non-alc products is that the texture isn't really there. And a lot of... That's the, it's the mouthfeel that I yeah. miss. Really. So as a bartender, I'm, I'm looking for things that smell great, that look great, that taste great, but also have complexity. It's another one of the senses we use in our drinks. Yeah. So for Everleaf, one of the starting points was finding something that had complexity of mouthfeel and texture, as you talk about tannins in a wine or something like that. Um, and that also slows down the... Um, the, the way flavours can uh, develop on your palate. So I've used a couple of different plants to give it kind of length and structure so you can get a lot more flavour development um, and, and a longer finish on it. Now you told me not to drink that neat, but actually I really like that. Oh, I'm, I, I like it. I've, so I've, I've, you've done me a weak one with something else. So I've, I've given you a spritz with a, spritz. a light tonic. Yeah. Um, so I've I've taken my slice of orange out of there and my ice cubes and I put it in the neat one. I would have it like that. This is lovely. But that's but then, but then again, you and I are both quite into our um, vermouths, Neil. Yeah, yeah. Like and we've vermouth. talked a lot. We know we, we often discover things on this show and then have ongoing conversations about you know our, our new right. dependence on X. And vermouth was one of those things that we really got into about a year ago. Yeah, I'd say. I love vermouth. And for me, that neat reminds me of a vermouth. Yeah, it does. Me too. And, and actually, and I can absolutely I drink that. The difference. Yeah. I can't tell the difference if, of, of having. A... You can still see me. Exactly. Not that I don't always want to. Well, I'm really glad you say that. I mean, it's something that I will sit at the end of one of our bars and, and drink as a Negroni with a, a few cubes of ice and a twist of yeah, orange. For me, it's, it's the oiliness and the density of it because mm. quite often the non alcoholized copying of a spirit is, is it just, it's not it's just thin is how I would describe it. And that's the bit I miss. No, it's not you, the alcohol. You're missing the other word you normally use. Nasty. <laughs> well, it's, some of them are, but, but um, it's... But the, I've had some de-alkalised wine, red wine, yeah. trying to find one. I can't find one because sometimes it tastes okay, but it's just, it's just not 
just hasn't got the texture or I think one of the problems Whatever. with products like that is that if you're de-alcoholizing de something that you are familiar with or you're trying to make a copy of something that mm. you're familiar with, you're always referencing that and it's inevitably going to be a bit of a, a letdown because you're used to a certain flavour profile. Um, but I've, I do think beers have cracked it. I think there's some great, great beer I would agree that with have that cracked team. it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure wine will eventually. Um, but the spirit thing... Has it? This is nice. Though. I, I think what's interesting is a lot of the, the non-alcoholic spirits I try are they they play up the sort of I'm going to call it the sort of the, the, the sort of the sort of aromatic bitter quality, mm. but actually to the detriment of everything else. That there's no pleasure in them. You know, they're almost you've often used the word medicinal to describe them. And mm. actually, I think when you think about whiskies and you think about um, vermouth, there is an element of that slightly medicinal kind of you know. I'd definitely drink that before dinner, and I probably wouldn't think that it was not a vermouth. So a bit of sweet aperitif was a good term mm, to use then. Definitely, so you, definitely. Could then, so you could drive your BMW, your electric BMW, after, I three, or, I ate, after three or four of these. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? And in fact, yeah. um, I found out from Paul that this is, Everleaf is stocked in a place where I had non-alcoholic cocktails the other day. I felt so great. I didn't miss out on anything. No, no, no. By having that and could drive home. Yeah, except then you don't laugh at people's jokes. That actually, well, that funny. could be a problem. <laughs> um, so, so having a look at this, Fiona, uh, well, well, how would you market this? Because it's, oh, I think it's a really difficult marketing dilemma when you when you're trying to do the non-alcoholic. There's, there's so many ways well, you can go on it. Do you know what I mean in terms of tactics? I. I th- I think that sometimes this thing of saying something is not something is the problem. I think that's what Paul is is touching on here, that this is actually a, a different category. And I use a, an example. I'm a big fan of, of kombuchas, and not all kombuchas are the same. And right. I would say that um, people can... There's going to be two different markets that come to kombuchas. There are those who believe in the health benefits, and there are those who want to find a non-alcoholic drink which isn't too sweet... Um, going about. So there's two different markets and I actually think what what we're doing here is creating a new market um, that it's it's becoming increasingly acceptable throughout the ages, you know, literally different ages of people to sort of say for whatever reason, with no shame, you know, I just don't do alcohol. So uh, to your point with the, the, the wines, I'd rather still have my glass of wine, full alcohol. Okay. I'm never going to drink a de-alcoholized wine. However, this is something new to me so I think you've got to sidestep the what it's not and emphasise the what it is, that this is a new, exciting category. Sorry, I think what's interesting as well is that, you know, when you look at the whole debate around veganism, mm. which obviously has grown enormously in the last, you know, few years, is that one of the challenges historically around both vegetarianism and veganism has been the difficulty of producing great flavoured non-meat products. And it remains a challenge. I think I think a lot of people still struggle with it. And I think there's a, there's an interesting parallel here, mm. which is that actually we've all got used to the taste profile, the alcoholic hit, the sensation. We've talked about transitional drinks, all that kind of mm. stuff, all that emotion around a drink. And when someone tries to do it, they often just completely miss the mark. But I think this mm. is genuinely interesting because the only lacking in this product is the alcohol. Mm. Which, you know, look, you're making a conscious choice there and all the data that certainly I've seen is, you know, the number of people who are trying to reduce alcohol consumption keeps on, you know, going up and up and up. 
you know. And but, that's... It's, but it is like veganism, vegetarianism. Um, for me, I, I don't want to. F- I want to fluctuate between not drinking and drinking. You know. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, and I, but I still struggle with my choices. You I know, totally agree I'm with that. Choice. I mean, I'm I'm a bar owner here in London. We've got three bars here, um, and Everleaf was born out of the fact that we have people coming in who don't necessarily want to drink every time they come in. They may mm. want a great night out, but they don't want alcohol to be part of that. And I want them to come in and have a great drink, whether yeah. they're drinking or not drinking. I don't want people to mm. not come to the bar if they're not drinking. Yeah. I still want them to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I still want them to have a great experience. So so you, you are a bartender. I know mm. you own bars as well. What's the difference between a bartender and a barman or woman? Nothing much, I don't think. <laughs> but I think there are people who work behind a bar and got a clue what they're doing. And, and I think... You know, I do think that a bartender can make a massive difference to your evening out or your choices or, you know, and they should be very informed, don't you think? Absolutely. We, and skilled, um, actually, mixing stuff. Yeah, well, it's been 25 years for me now, so I've, I've got a bit of experience. But it's great um, coming around your house for dinner. Right. I hope so. It's great. I've certainly got a Completely liquid. Might yeah, be a liquid yeah, yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you make a mean cocktail? Uh, I like to think so, but that's very much down to the person I'm making it for and what they like. Uh, It's no good making somebody a great drink that's technically a great drink, but they don't like it. Mm. Um, So I think a lot of the skill is down to working out what that customer wants and and making them something appropriate. Um, So a non-alcoholic bittersweet aperitif is not going to be what everybody's looking for, but hopefully it'll be right for some people. So going back to the product, I mean... Sue, it's, it's great, great to hear, by the way, you're in Sainsbury's. I mean, Harrods was closed, was it, this weekend? It was, it yes. Was. It was. Um, yeah. So, um, the, getting into Sainsbury's must have been a big thing. It was a huge thing. Um, it was not long after we launched, and the challenge of getting enough stock together for a, a Sainsbury's order was quite something. And where's it stocked in Sainsbury's? So, they've got a, a new low and low section now. Right. Um, so, it's actually stocked with non-alcoholic beers. And that's why I went to look at it, because it was a whole shelf, and well. it had... Um, alcohol-free gin and tonics. It had alcohol-free beer. I think they're trying to show. I think they're trying to have a place where if you're not drinking, there's a massive number of choices. And it's within the area where the alcohol is. Yes, but it, but it hasn't been put in next to, let's say, martini and all mm. those things. Where it would get totally lost. I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were really lucky to to get in. I think it was the time when that area was just launching. And they were looking for a, a diverse number of products to go in on the show. So who else is in there? It's not there's not much variety, I didn't think. Um well in terms of the spirit alternatives, there's Seedlip, Cedars, uh Caleno, just another reasonably new yeah. brand. Um, they were on top shelf. And I think and then there was a few oh, Atopia as well. Non alcoholic uh, beers, but not a then, great selection. When you consider mm, how many great how big an opportunity. non alcoholic beers. Well, and also are how many people actually don't drink alcohol? And yeah, I think I well, when you look at those aisles, there's there's like I think there's four aisles in a, you know, in Sainsbury's near me, and then they've got this little pokey thing on the end. Mm. Like, literally four shelves. It just it doesn't make any but sense. Sometimes, obviously dealing with the, the retailers um, constantly, sometimes we get pretty frustrated because you can say what's happening on the street and you can show all the evidence as to why this is important, but they are often risk-averse, cool. slow to move. Um, it can be really, really frustrating because we can prove that there's the demand out there, but they're yeah. just not given the chance. But it's also that fact that fundamentally, you know, however good this product is, its rate of sale versus, mm. you know something else that is probably pretty rubbish and tastes appalling, um, would be this would be much lower. And actually, you know, in the end, the retailers often, and, and rightly so, they're mm. accountable to shareholders, et cetera, mm. et cetera, make economic decisions. And, and there's, an inter- there's a really interesting balance, I think, about how re- retailers' role in, in behaviour change and in, and in trying to encourage the right 
But maybe that's good because then it does mean that the smaller brands have got a, a chance because they go through the in- independent retailer yeah. route, which means mm. then people like me go to independent retailers. I mean, that's the first time I've been in Sainsbury's for, for I don't know how long. Um, because I know I'm going to find much more interesting stuff in there. So are you in lots of independents as well? Yeah, we are in quite a few. Um I mean, initially with my background, we've gone mainly into the on-trade. Yeah. So we're yeah. in a lot of great bars and restaurants. Um, and I presume they're really looking for alternatives because people are asking for them. Yeah, totally. Um, particularly restaurants where you might be going for an amazing lunch um, with kind of incredible ingredients cooked by an amazing chef. Yeah. Um, and your options have traditionally been Coca-Cola or sparkling water. Mm. Um, and so uh, sommeliers have been delighted with it because it's something they can talk about the toa, they can talk about the sourcing of the ingredients, they can talk about mouthfeel and structure and yeah. texture, all those things that, that really work with food. Because um, when you go into a supermarket, you, know, mm. you, you can't voice your opinion. There's nobody to talk to. No. So you can't say, well, why is there no more choice than this? Because there's nobody there. No, uh, that, that that is a problem and that's where I think that um, having a presence as a brand direct to the consumers is really, really important. And then those intermediaries because, you know, what can differentiate where you go and shop now? It's going to be the service. I've mm. in another supermarket recently and they had upped their game. In fact, last weekend um, I was in, um, admittedly, Zurich and Globus. My God, what a difference it made having people who are passionate about the food. I know it's very, very top mm. end, but it makes a difference. And, and one of my big passions in life is about having empowered staff who are passionate about things. And that can go both ends of the scale. So again, it's not always about the... the so high, Amazon Harrods. The, 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 <laughs> the, the high privilege. You know, if you... I've recently stayed in a, in a Premier Inn. The service I got there was fantastic for the job mm. they did. And so it's, it's about having empowered staff who will engage. But... Um, Yes, there isn't anyone to talk to. That's why I think that it's a great time in a way, I'm sorry to say at supermarkets, but unless you do change something, that having a presence direct to consumer, which can support your listing, so, so important. But I suppose oh, I... Give you feedback. But I think the only problem with the whole direct to consumer thing is, is that how many items are you genuinely going to buy direct to consumer? And it's, you know, it's really interesting. If I think through, you know, my buying behaviours, it's very, very, very few that I am, you know, you know, on one level, we're all lazy, right? Mm. And in the end, if I, you know, yeah, I go to my local wine shop and I go to my local cheese shop and I go to my local butcher. And if things are there, great. And that's why I think the independents are so invaluable. But And you've got the money to do it with all... Of course, no, 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 of course. But mm. but that's where, you know, when you, you know, if you, you log onto a, a brand's website and you're like, okay, I'm, you know, I did it the other day, I bought some, you know, a particular product... And you end up buying a case of the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, do you, you just don't want a case of it. Or you yeah. end up looking at the pack, you know, the, the shipping and it costs five ninety nine. You're like, well, mm. I don't want to pay five ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. And so I think I think the direct consumer thing for brands is very, very complicated. And while, you know, that's where Amazon, I think, does come in on some level. And mm-hmm. I think the Ocados come in and the independents come in. Mm. Because I'm not, I'm not going to buy fifty different things from fifty different people. Life's no. just sad. No, I think short. collecting them together is <coughs> a curated collection. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's an alternative so, to that. And, and you're right. But actually, when I examined, I'm buying my dog food on subscription now. I've got my contact lenses on subscription. Um, I get my flowers on subscription. But those now. are heavy consumption items, mm-hmm. and those, I mean, those are that's where those those are, those are three great examples of where it works. But when you get into the world of food. Mm. You know, what is it you're going to... So, contact lenses, absolutely. So, my wife gets those on subscription. I get the flowers. They've done an amazing job in that mm. area. You know, Naked Wines have done it. Cause I do chocolate. Huh? I do cocoa mm. runners, absolutely, because they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm not going to... You know, where? what else are you... You know, where do you... Where do you draw that line? Yeah. 
We we do direct to consumer as well, and I think it's important for us because it it actually opens up a, a direct mm, line of yes. communication, and it's not just about selling them one bottle and that's no. it. It's Creating about community, then having yeah. supporters and having people that want to find out more about the brand. Mm. And there's lots of depth to Everleaf. Um, I used to be a conservation biologist. We talk about how we're sourcing the ingredients sustainably. We take people on journeys to where we're finding the saffron or where we're finding the orris root or where we're finding the vanilla. Um, and, and some people really want that extra link to the brand mm. and it makes it um, kind of worthwhile. Mm. It makes it more of a connection. So so how um, are you going to scale up, Paul? Because if you are, you know, that authenticity and that sourcing that you're so committed to, how are you going to scale up or, or, or do you not want to? I mean, which is perfectly fine. Um, well, I'm not sure that it's suddenly going to be multi-million unit. Well, it's after it's overnight. been on here. Well, <laughs> one can hope. On this programme. <laughs> I'll find a solution. <laughs> um, but actually, there are so many different stories about the, the, the sourcing. So at the moment, the saffron is coming from Spain. Um, we're looking at a project in Afghanistan that's working mm. to get people off opium production into saffron cultivation. Mm. If there are two sources for the saffron going into the product and there's a very slight variation in flavour profile, then I think that's something to, to champion and talk about. Mm. I think for, for sourcing all these ingredients, it, it is a an interesting complex product if if i say that this current batch is slightly different to the last one because and explain it's about the natural mm. sourcing of ingredients like you would if you got a new you know um sort of vineyard you know producing wine the next yeah, year will be different. slightly different yeah. Yeah. if you're buying a, a good wine you would expect it to be different vintage yep. to vintage yeah um, and I, I think that's something we can we can champion rather than it being a disadvantage mm. Good. Um, and, and Fiona, um, with your um, consultancy work um, at Product Chain, what, what are the key pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who wants to launch a product into the market? Not putting you on the spot or anything, no. obviously. <laughs> well, um, you know, I mean, we had, um, we had Bread and Jam Festival uh, last week, which was great. And so many people come because they really want that advice. And they've got some great products, but you know, it's quite difficult to make it, isn't it? Uh, it's very, very successful. difficult to make and picking up on one of your comments earlier, I think you need to ask people, why are they doing it? So mm. we could ask Paul, well, why is he doing it? He's, you know, and he can answer. He can answer that because so many people come along and they say, well, I want to sell out, you know, in five years time. Okay, that's one answer. So that will dictate what your strategy yeah. is going yeah. to be. Other people, and I've had a really interesting one, which um, hopefully just launching and he said, no, I'm not interested in America, not interested in selling out. I'm interested in doing some good along the way. And this is why I'm doing it. And these are all the good stories, a bit like you're talking about. So one of the he, first He just things, doesn't want to make a loss. He want, he, no, he doesn't want to make a loss. So and we're lifestyle. about, it's got to be very, very commercial. And so many entrepreneurs, you know, thank God they exist. Thank God they don't listen to advice sometimes. Otherwise, lots of fantastic products would mm. never have been launched. Mm. But I have to say, I sit there and I, I pray for them sometimes and I feel like a bit like a dream stealer because you have to say to them, look, the supermarkets don't care if you think it's the best soup in the world. What they want to know is how much money it's going to make them, how you're going to communicate with your consumers, what's your and point of difference? Yeah. You know, because the shelves are not elastic. Um, and so, w <laughs> you know, is it a niche of a niche of a niche? Go for one year strategy. Is it going to be mass market? You go for another strategy. But... It's so many people will so say what, yes to things without actually thinking. So, about what are the biggest mistakes? And the biggest mistakes being not really understanding the market and just thinking you've got a great product yeah. and somehow yeah. being too in love with your product. Everybody will go for it because it's yeah. it's amazing. That's no. just not enough. It's it's not enough. I mean, everything is very data driven. You've got to keep proving things, and and you know, we, you can come up with a to a buyer who will just say, I just don't like this. And it's very important that you can demonstrate that the people who are going to buy it do like do it. Like so, it. never mind if you don't like it, mate. 
you know, here's the evidence that says people are going to buy it. So it's got to be evidence-led. You can't be too emotional. We want passion in there. Sure, that's fantastic. But you've got to be articulate about it and what you want to get out of it. I have picked up businesses where they, they haven't thought about the commercials at all and mm. people will go in and they haven't funded success, which is another key thing. You know, they get a listing, but what does that actually mean to them? So I got hammered once at some seminar I was giving about... You mustn't fall, you mustn't be in love with your product, and they go, oh yes, you must. no, 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 you must. no. So, so, so let's just let's just like dive right in inside of that. You've got to be passionate about it. You got to love it, but you've not got to love it to such an extent that you can't see properly no. when things aren't right, or if the brand's not right, or you don't take advice yeah. from people who really, really do no. know what they're talking about. No. And you have to. Um, disengage yourself you know the product is not you no a criticism about the product is not a criticism of you it's you know and you've got to disengage yes. yeah and look at the product from above haven't you and, and be absolutely passionate about the product but passionate about your business yes yeah. i think that describes it very very nicely and i can mm. give you sort of two um little examples on that so one particular brand um He's, he seems to be scared to get the feedback from the people who can make the difference. And I'm talking about his consumers or potential consumers because he's so fixed in his idea about what it's about. But it's not working. And he doesn't want the criticism. Doesn't mm. want the criticism. Then on the other hand, and, and I know last week you had um, uh, a kefir um, yes. uh, on. And what was really interesting, a few years ago, probably about five or six now, I was approached by a big American company. I think they had about $60 million dollars business over there and they wanted to come into the UK but we're a very different state they mm. wouldn't listen to anything we had to say and then we're trying to negotiate about a price I said no there is no price because you're not listening about the UK market there's no point in you're engaging us follow the advice. Mm. strangely enough they have despite the resources at their disposal they have never made it in the UK because mm. they've never listened mm, listen um, so you bought a couple of products with you. Are these um, some of your clients or, or, or what are these products? No, this one is a little like the, the cobbler's children here. We have looked... Uh, this isn't your own, is it? It's my own. Oh, uh, yes, we can really criticise it then because you said that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but actually, it's, uh, I mean, it's an interesting one because we have been going since 1991 looking after other people's brands yeah. and actually probably failing to look after ourselves. And we, we are very passionate foodies. Um, and sometimes things happen by accident, which I would say that the very original um, Food Thoughts, Cocoa, which was traded for probably almost 20 years now in, in Sainsbury's, that was an accident, yeah. um, you know, sort of sitting there. Uh, one product six years ago, now we have six products. It's in much wider distribution, and Sainsbury's were actually very supportive there having, um, you know, sort of challenged what its purpose is there. It's found in the ba baking aisles. It's specialist in what it does. So we practice what we preach. We have to find the investment. We have to worry about stock. That keeps you really things. up to date, though, doesn't it? Absolutely. Really. And then the, the, the latest one, um, my, my bone broth, Boosh. I'm really, really passionate about the old wisdoms that are out there that I think in the late 20th century, we lost touch. You know, science after the war became, you know, very important for food production, you know, industrialization of food. And I'm not knocking science in any way, shape or form, mm -hmm. but I think that we lost a lot of instincts and a lot of knowledge we had. And bone broth was something that I felt instinctively needed to find a place in the world. You can see in America it's got more trendy, etc. I love bone broth. Mm. But it's love got it. a place in the world for the future. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make it more democratic. So going back to your point, it's mm. not just for 
those very, very privileged people who can afford to pay an awful lot of money. So it might not be there yet, but um, we'll get there. Do you want to try some of that, Paul? Do, do, you, do you a broth So what's man? the use of this? Because it's quite a small... I mean, we're looking... Sorry, we're so, obviously, we're on radio. Yeah. So we're looking, we're looking at a, a, what I'm going to call a jam jar. Absolutely, um, yeah. Quantity-wise. Yes. And is this... So how do you imagine people using this bone broth? Okay, well... You can drink it? Various different ways. You could just drink it straight um, as a drink. So that is one very good hearty drink in there. You can use it as a base for soup. So the, the younger generation are much more used to having more oriental thin soups. We're not used to bit the big thick like ones that we used to get. Pho, whatever it's called. Pho. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, as a as the base for, you know, you might go and put in chickens, you know, spring onions, ginger, whatever, as a great base. Fantastic for... Risotto as well, mm-hmm. which I know is probably Ooh, a minority. I didn't think about that. It is brilliant. That's a really lovely, good idea. It's much nicer than sticky. putting some stock in. Absolutely. Well, if you've made stock yourself, then you should, but not the <laughs> no. you know manufactured no. stock stuff. So this cube. is um, so there are various ways of using it, using it. And when we did go out to talk to consumers, what I was very surprised about oh, and delighted. Wow, spicy. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's going to cure your chest of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, when when we talked to them, that actually instead of just seeing it as a drinking broth, it was more the uses, the culinary uses in mm. the kitchen. So this is ambient, two years, it's sitting there in your cupboard, it's got all the goodness in there. So it's not a fresh, highly expensive product, it's something where you will be cutting down waste packaging which is environmentally friendly. Yeah. So therefore expanding the market, because that's what we've got to do if we're ever going to reach this ambition of getting something like this to nourish mm. our older generations who are undernourished. I love that beef stock. I really like that. That's too I mean, spicy for me. What? That one. No, you're spicing okay. up. Well, I was going to say, Did you like obviously, that? what well, you, that's yeah. the Asian yes. one. Yes, Asian, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Asian one. And, and there you just water it down to whatever flavour, you know, add mm. some more hot water or whatever mm. you, you're going to add to that. So you, so your point here then is is getting, in inverted commas, a slightly healthy product yep. or, or a, let's say nourishing. Nourishing. Nourishing products. Um, and you're trying desperately to get the price point and the ambient levels and yes. all that sort of stuff so that it is much more mass market. Because yep. when we did talk about the kefir stuff last week, it was very expensive and, and it's not going to be mainstream, is it, mm. um, really? No, I mean, I have to say, one of my favourite things to cook at home is, you know, having done, you know, a chicken on a weekend or... I actually did some ribs the other day, which I cooked, you know, in water for a long time for on the barbecue. The stuff you get out the other end mm. is just phenomenal. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. And I do think I do think stock and broths are though are, are sort of a lost art within the cooking processes. Yeah. Totally and it is agree. certainly one that, you know, I mean, if you've you know, it's funny we were talking earlier about Ethiopian cuisine and Indonesian cuisine. And if you've got this sort of stuff in your store cupboard, it does make, you know, shortcuts to quality much easier yeah, absolutely. all the time as I say those horrible stock pot cube things which I don't like at all because they're just I think they salt they're well, really they, well, salty they are, they are very salty but I, th- I, th- they, I think like all these things they all have a you know I mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm a from scratch cook right mm-hmm. so you know generally a lot of you know I did it last night you know there was a chicken over from over the weekend and I cooked you know a, a broth and, and that was you know that would be the basis of a, of a soup with dumplings and noodles and all sorts of stuff tonight well, that sounds nice doesn't it? but but you know i think coming I, but, around i think yeah. but no, but, get but, an invite. But, but that but i think this is where you know obviously not everyone does that yeah and that's where stocks do have a role to play but it's mm. a very competitive you know because it's interesting because there really are only two brands in that space and they have a real stranglehold on that market and it's Who's that? so callow 
Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which is obviously, obviously have the biscuits and all okay, sorts of stuff. Double L O exactly, and then Unilever's Nor, mm, yeah. which is an app, which is one of their global billion-dollar brands. Which again, wow. you know, it's it's one of their biggest brands, and it's it obviously comes from a German heritage, and is huge and has very strong, I would say, ambitions, and mm. is very keyed into sustainability because of all of Unilever's missions and stuff. So I mean, this this is a you know this is a difficult category to enter. Isn't it? Okay, well, I would, I would say we're looking more at the other end. So rather than positioning it as stock, because yep. that was the surprise when we talked to consumers, it is a, a broth. It is different from a stock. It is that you can drink it it's straight It's Wagamama. It's, you know, exactly. that, that rather so, than... So that's where it started, having this as, as the base and the pure. You can just have it as it is. Mm. But then lots of people saying, well, actually, we would use it as a great alternative for our stock. So mm. moving more into that area. Because you're right, they, they, they're very convenient. They've yep. got that. So, no, mm. I'm not trying to take on that. What I'm trying to do... Because there are some great um, bone broths out there at the moment. They're very niche. They're very expensive. The packaging isn't great. And some of them taste awful. Some of them taste great. But there's then some pretty poor ones. What I'm trying to do there's, is... There's some good ones too, of course. It, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think it's quite polarised, actually. Yes. And, and what I want to do is to... Um, if, if you look at our, as I said, our older population, they are very undernourished. And unfortunately, and I'm not knocking the health service here, but... They'll just say, it doesn't matter where you get your calories from when you're old. Have a piece of cake. Well, it really does matter where you mm. get your calories from when you're older. We've, you know, we've got compromised immune systems. I think Sally Davis said that we're probably the, the resistance to antibiotics will get us before, you know, a global warming will. Mm. So we've got to look after ourselves better. And one of the areas, so on one hand, bone broth is young and trendy in other countries. But actually, there's a huge market for aging markets mm. and people have grown up with a you know a more universal um world view of what um soups should taste like mm. yeah absolutely so i enjoy not... that paul you you gave me a little mm. thumbs up while you were drinking that I'm beef delicious it is lovely mm. isn't it yeah. i mean obviously we're drinking it cold because we're in the studio <laughs> but i love a bit of broth warmed up I, I just have one of those and some some fresh vegetables in yeah. there some some bit noodles. Of noodles literally mm. takes yeah. four or five minutes mm. and that's it i think a common thing here with paul's drink is what i call the satiety spot you know that that actually is delivering something to your brain and which i think probably helps the overconsumption, or you've you've been delivered that pleasure moment and that's what's really important in all these products mm. So it's actually, I remember doing a, 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 face, sort of a, a Facebook Live with Michael Keynes, who's one of my favourite chefs out there, mm. and he did this great recipe, it was for Vitality Health, and literally it was stock, which he'd obviously made from scratch, and then all he did was he threw in a couple of aromatics, just to add a little bit of extra flavour, and then just dropped in fresh cut vegetables, a bit of noodles, and you're mm. there, and you just go, that is a phenomenally satisfying cheap delicious yeah. cheap Fast. and actually basically if you open up your fridge as I often do it's like right okay there's a carrot there's a there's a this there's a that throw it all in and it's you know I do think that is you know one of those dishes that is mm. such a crowd pleaser but super easy mm. so we're coming to the end of the programme I'm just going to ask you one more uh, question Fiona if, if you don't mind um, so, so we've got the uh, Paul's Everleaf here um, naming your products and getting the brand right, by which I mean the use of words, you know, the tone of voice, and not just the visual thing, but the whole thing, the shape of the bottle in this case, or whatever it might be. How important is that in terms of your lovely new product if you're going into this sector? Well, again, it's about being objective. 
Um, I, just to say, we're not brand specialists. No, That's no, no, not, no. not our area, no. but we experience a lot of brands. Sure. Um, so probably the one I can talk about is thinking about about Boosh in that um, what was important is it's one simple word for somebody mm-hmm. to say. It's not intimidating if you want people to um, understand because nobody wants to feel they can't ask for something properly or, you know, it's for like Magdalen College, you know, how the heck are we supposed to know? It's called Magdalen College. You know, for most of us, we don't know that. So, um, As in it's actually spelt Magdalene. Exactly, yes. exactly. I didn't know that. You've got to be in the know. Yeah, exactly. Well, then that's what you don't want because this is about making people feel comfortable with good choices. So mm. I think something that people can easily say is very, very important. Everleaf. It's that's, that's, that's got a tick Everleaf. on that one, Paul. Um, but actually... If you want to say it any more times, that's great. <laughs> Everleaf. Wonderful. Thank you. And then I asked Paul, well, why Everleaf? So it invites a question. Um, mm. So that's great, but it hasn't intimidated me. It invites a question. And actually, what I got from Paul, you know, I, I hopefully we'll carry on this conversation over in a glass, but is there's a lot more strands to that. There's, there's a little bit of depth there. But again, and I don't know if Paul did this, but it's really important to test it out on people who don't love you. Yeah, you know, it's don't not your mum. asking your mum, your friends, all your of auntie. who want to tell you things yeah. that they think you want to know. But if I look at that bottle there, and I cannot believe how many times this is missed out, it's on the shelf and it says right at the top, non-alcoholic, bittersweet, aperitif. There's three words explain exactly yeah. what that product is. We get some really interesting crossover type products and then sometimes I'm really struggling to actually get what it is. Mm. Don't you think, Ollie? I mean, you're, you're, you've worked in brands a lot. Yeah, look, I think, you you've know... You've got to say what it is, but also, clearly. You've got to remember when your people end up on, you know, in an aisle, right? They're stressed out, they're running around, you know, you don't have the time. And, yeah. and also, yeah. you know, you end up, you know, on a Cardo or Waitrose or Tesco's, wherever it is, searching for things and trying to find them. And I think the other, the other thing I would add to what Fiona said is we live in the digital age mm. and actually... How is the SEO potential of that brand? Mm. You know, so I think if you have a brand name where people type in that word and they're going to end up with something different or it's a very hard phrase to, to find in, you know, in that kind of space, someone else owns the URL, et cetera, et cetera. I and mean, I think, you know, as you build brands today, it's much more complicated than, you know... It's well, more multidimensional you know. that you have, things that you have to consider, yeah. I think. But for me, in terms of the hierarchy, I've got the name there. It tells me exactly what it is. And then if I'm intrigued you've got a hierarchy and a layer of messages that are coming through. And then if I'm really interested in the product or maybe I bought it once and then you start finding out, you know, the the, the real lengths you've gone to get the ingredients and yeah. that sort of backstory comes along. And don't necessarily think that's the one that's right at the front. No, sometimes. and sometimes people, they think they've got about, you know, five different benefits. Well, people aren't going to list all of those. You've no. got about three seconds in front of the shelf. So making it clear, yeah, exactly, making it clear, making people feel confident about their choices and being able to articulate it because they become your brand advocates then. Yeah. If you say it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you could or you might, it's not very coherent. Mm. It's something I really had to learn, actually, because as a bartender, you have a lot of time to talk to people. (laughs) People come to the bar, they want to have a conversation. They want to find out more about what they're going to do. That's interesting, yeah, because they're different. Um, So so for me to enter the the world of FMCG and and selling on shelf... um, breaking it down into this is your first message this is your second message if people want to know more there it is but don't don't make them have to learn it yeah Um, and you can't rely on it you know which is the fact is that in the end you know as I often say there is only one wallet and you know consumers have lots of choice and you Mm. decide where to spend that money and 
if the if the overriding reason that people are being communicated is not enough to make them buy, then they won't. You know, no, fit, you, you know, you mm. need to have that strong first story. It's got to taste a magazine because otherwise you definitely won't be able to go anywhere. Yeah, Sue certainly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, thank you very much to Paul Matthew of Everleaf, and Everleaf is a sunshine yellow, can't like that. Aperitif, and it contains a variety of botanicals. Saffron gives it its cheery colour. Have I got that right, Paul? Um, yeah. And um, have, I think Iris that. lends it its earthy and floral notes, and it's got angelica for that little bittersweet. It's got cassia, with spice and warmth. It's got vanilla, vetiver, orange blossom, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's why <laughs> it's, that, what that's why it's complex. It's it's got all mm. the bot- botanicals you would expect in a vermouth or a, or a gin, really. Just as complicated. But they're also working. I mean, I think you know, there are lots together, of lots they? of things that have a mm. lot of ingredients that deliver exactly nothing. Yeah, it was wonderful that, to to design actually because I started with a an aromatic beginning and I had a, a complex rounded middle and then I had a nice bittersweet finish and then I had to kind of <coughs> play around with all the plants to get the the bits in between to join them up. Yeah, it's no good having a beginning, a middle, and end if it doesn't kind of flow. flow. So. It was it's a long process of tinkering to get. Can't that even imagine how you make that work, but amazing. The, the kitchen amazing. was a tip for a long time. I bet it was. <laughs> yes, but worth it. But worth it. And um, thank you again to Fiona Eason and um, her team at Product Chain advise on basically all aspects of launching a new food product. And if you are going to, um, you know, if you're very interested in the food space, as a lot of people are, and you are going to mortgage your house or get your family to support you. You've got to really get some of these things right. So go and get some good advice, whether it's with Fiona's firm or somebody else, because you know you're gonna you're gonna lose your money if you if you you know don't get Absolutely. some great it, it's objective advice. Sometimes I think two steps back is uh, is the way to go, and then make one step forward again. Yep. So uh, yeah, be objective. It's a great sector to be in, and we are great advocates of the sector, but it's tough. Mm. It's very tough. I mean, very I think tough. you know. You, know, you you said earlier, which is, you know, one of the comments of the idea that entrepreneurs want to get out in five years. Mm. I mean, no one gets out in five years. No. You know, I think it's one of the things that, you know, maybe no one ever said to me when I started, you know, my, when I started two businesses, but my entrepreneurial journey, which is quite how long you will be in these things before you get out the other side. And most people, But you know, perhaps that's good, because if you realise you're going to be there for 10, you probably want to start. No, but, 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 but I think it's interesting, because, you know, you, you know, the, you know mm. we were talking about passion earlier. You know, you need, to be an entrepreneur, you need a lot of energy to sustain yourself mm. on that journey. And it's a long journey. You know, oh, yeah, and you'll it's, it's hit not, some really terrible... You'll hit some really tough times, and really there's then the external environment, and, you know, all the rest of it, so... Mm. Well, actually, that, that emotional point is one of the key things. Eventually, we got around to rebranding our own website we work with all these beautiful brands who've got great websites and we didn't Mm. and when we did the research actually what came back is that um, people wanted to be with product chain because of the emotional support because it is really lonely Mm -hmm. it's going to be a safe space to go my production's not up to it this has failed you you know so what do we do about it we got that experience but it is the emotional connection which is Mm. very very important we're not just there on the high days i'm sorry you're there yeah Absolutely. So um, thank you again, Paul Matthew Everleaf, and thank you for bringing that in. Really enjoyed Very much. that. It's great to be here. And Fiona Eason of Product Chain. And thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd. You're welcome. It's a good one. Very interesting. Very interesting. And um, we've got another thing for, you know, those days we shouldn't be taking out the spirits. Yes. Now, next week, you've got some of your research, which I always yeah. love. So we can talk we a bit about have... some of the trends and stuff. Excellent. That'd be good. That'd be good. So you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, and we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher. 
Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone and probably loads of other stuff as well. Um, if you know someone doing something groundbreaking, just like Paul Matthew at Everleaf, um, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to the lovely dulcet tones of Ollie Lloyd, you and can, so. you can um, yeah, listen to hundreds of our podcasts on foodtalk.co.uk. Or, Holly's not here today, but uh, we're on the um, homepage of Speciality Food Magazine website if you can't find us. So, um, I'm going to have another little glass of Everleaf, and I hope you have a good week. Bye. Bye.